Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bible, your device to Daniel chapter 4 as we continue to navigate through this amazing prophetic book of Daniel. This book is about 2,600 years old, and yet it's still applicable and real today. It's almost as if it was written yesterday. And so in this amazing book in the Old Testament, we can learn a lot of valuable lessons. Today's message is a continuation of last week. It's called Watch the Point. Not what's the point, but watch the point. Now, when we say watch the point, this comes from the idea that often we can watch somebody's life and we can see what they point to most. And it will say a whole lot, a tremendous amount about the condition and the direction and the attention of the heart. And most often when we look around in the world today, we see people pointing at me, myself, and I. Life has become about us. And yet God has a way of trying to get our attention. And God ultimately will do everything, no holds barred, to get our attention. And Nebuchadnezzar had a huge ego. He had a huge pride problem. He had a huge self-image problem. And so everything he did, he tried, he needed to build himself up. He wasn't after acquiring more land. He had plenty of that. He wasn't after building a greater kingdom because his kingdom was enormous. We talked about last week, Babylon, which was his kingdom, his city, is modern-day Iraq, and yet he had built this fortified city that was 15 miles on every side, four sides. And his wall to protect it was 387 feet tall, enormous, at the top, 87 feet wide, enough so they could have chariot races around the city. Through the bottom of it, they had erected this over the Euphrates River, Inside the garden, he had a palace, a palace uh, uh, that nobody else can compare to. And on top of his palace, he had built a uh, hanging garden for his wife. And it, it is known even today as one of the seven great wonders of the ancient world. So if anybody had a reason to be prideful, it would be King Nebuchadnezzar. And yet we saw last week, God hates pride. Tell your neighbor, God hates pride. We, we like to talk about the lovey-dovey side of God, but God is also wrathful. And he, because he's just, uh, God gets angry because he is righteous. And there's such a thing as called righteous anger, righteous indignation. And so God hates pride. Over and over, he tells us that. And so God wanted to get his attention. And let me just tell you something. The, the only thing worse than God getting your attention, you ready, is God not getting your attention. I want to say that again because I want you to write this down in, in your mind and, in, and chisel it in your heart. The only thing worse than God never getting your attention is God, excuse me, worse than God getting your attention is God never getting your attention. Because if he never gets your attention, if he never gets you to the place where you acknowledge who you truly are and how great he truly is, then we'll never experience what he has for us, and that is salvation and eternity in his presence in heaven. But if he never gives, gets our attention, we spend eternity separated from that love, from that God, in a place of torment that God created for the fallen angels, the demons, and ultimately those of us who never received Jesus. That's where we spend our eternity. So chapters 1, 2, one, two and 3 are all about Look how good Nebuchadnezzar is. It's chapters written to the greatness of a man, or so he thought. Chapter 4, 
The pendulum swings to the other side. And it is a press conference to the world. It is Nebuchadnezzar speaking to the world. He's written a letter, and God and Daniel would have it in his book, a letter written by Nebuchadnezzar. And so in chapter 4, he begins with what we called last week the pronouncement of a believer. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 1, he said, It is my pleasure, man, to tell you what God has done for me. He gives his personal testimony of how things have changed. And we talked about how it's like a movie of today where they start with the end and then they pause and they put some verbiage on the screen that says, you know, one year earlier or three years earlier, whatever it is, three weeks earlier. Okay, that's what he does. So now he's going to begin to tell what happened to get him from a place where in chapters 1, 2, and 3 it was all about him. And chapter 4, it's all about God. So we saw that last week. Number two, we saw a pre preoccupation of humanity. What we're naturally drawn to in the flesh and what we're naturally inclined to, and that is to, uh, to be about self. And, and, and he goes on in, in his letter to the world and he says, I was in my palace uh, enjoying my, being content, enjoying my prosperity. And ultimately, that's what all of us are really about, about finding a place where we're comfortable with us where we feel like we're doing at least as good, if not better, than the next guy. And uh, we can argue and say, well, that's not me. I, I really don't want that. Yeah, you do. Everybody does. It's flesh. And flesh battles spirit. Flesh and spirit never go together. How do we do it? We do it with the words we say. We point at ourselves. We talk about what we've done, our accomplishments. We do it with initials by our name. I have a, a BS, an MBA, and a, a, a Master's of Divinity. I got a PhD. I got a doc. We put letters by our name. We, we do it with cars. We do it with homes. We do it with boats. We do it with vacations. We do it with our children. We talk about the greatness of our children. Why do, we, why do we talk about the greatness of our children and our grandchildren? It's because they're image bearers of us. And if they're doing good, it reflects well on us. So we are all about our personal agenda. And, and, and one theologian, well, he's not actually a theologian. He's just a commentator. This is what he says about our... Now, this is overstated, but it generally states how most of us feel at some point in our life. It says, I'm through with standing in line to clubs I'll never get in. It's like the bottom of the ninth, and I'm never going to win. This life hasn't turned out quite the way I thought it would be. You know, some of you will catch on in a minute. I want a brand new house on an episode of Cribs and a bathroom I can play baseball in and a king-sized tub big enough for 10 plus me. I need a credit card that's got no limit and a big black jet with a bedroom in it. Going to join the Mile High Club at 37,000 feet. I want a new tour bus with old guitars, my own star on Hollywood Boulevard. Somewhere between Cher and James Dean will be fine with me. I'm going to trade this life for fortune and fame and even cut my hair and change my name because we all want to be big rock stars and live in hilltop houses driving 15 cars. Now, that's not a theologian, but some of y'all know where that came from. A band that's now arguably the most hated band, rock band that's ever played. It's called Nickelback. And the guy who wrote it is a guy named Chad Kruger. Okay, And we joke about that, and they even joked when they wrote it. They said they just began to think about some of the things that, that people pursue. And the truth is, it may not look like that. Okay, We may not want to be a rock star, but a little bit of that rock star status along the journey called life, all of us want just a little bit of it. And if we ever taste a little bit of it, it's addictive, and we want more. And so we got to be careful. Now, that's who we are, and now we see the prophetic will of God. The prophetic will of God we saw last week, it's not that. The prophetic will of God is for you and I and us to align with who it is God has wired us to be. I want you to know that God has designed you, 
He's formed you and fashioned you just like you are. And, and so sometimes we look around and we say, I kind of wish I was more like that. Okay. God doesn't want you to be more like that. I want you to hear this. God wants you to be more like you. He wants you to be you because he wired you, formed you, fashioned you, and made you you. And you are an image bearer of, of part of God, who you truly are. When you find yourself in Jesus Christ, who you are is an image bearer of God. And although we're all different people, all of us bear the image of God. Now, that's kind of crazy because you think if we all are image bearers of God, we kind of look alike, act alike, sound alike. No, God is much bigger than what we think he is. And so you and I are image bearers of God. And so we have the prophetic will of God. So you remember what it was? It was a dream. Daniel comes along. He says, man, this dream, I wish it was for somebody else. But Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar even, even though he was heathen. And he says, this dream is about you. And you're going to spend seven years in a cage eating grass with ox, with oxen. And you're, you're, you're not going to know who you are. Seven years, you're going to be separated from the greatness of your kingdom. Now, all the while, God is trying to reach this guy named Nebuchadnezzar. I want you to understand something. God is always trying to reach you. God is always trying to speak into your life. God is always trying to encourage you. God's ultimate goal, listen, is for you to embrace him and dive in and get up close to God. He wants you to be in an intimate personal, real relationship with him. I just think that that kind of smokes me. It just amazes me. And, and, and when he gets your attention, sometimes it hurts. Sometimes things break in the process. When I was 10 years old and sitting in a revival, I really wasn't looking for God. I, I was there because my parents took me. But God was looking for me. He hadn't lost me. He was just looking for me to have an encounter. And so he, he orchestrated things to, 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 for a moment when I would encounter God. Listen, God orchestrates planets and universes to, to, to invite you into his presence. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, it says this. It says, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen. Because they are understood through what has been made so that people are without excuse. At the end of the day, at the end of your season called life, we have no excuses. God has done everything. The, the, everything in creation points to the invisible stuff of God. Okay, Everything temporary points to the eternal nature of God. This morning we had our outdoor service and, you know, the forecast was 49 degrees. The forecast is goofy every week and yet God shines on us in our outdoor service. It's been amazing. And so this morning it was like 49 degrees, I think they said. And I put the sweater on. I didn't make the mistake I did last time they called for cold weather. I put on long underwear. By the time I got in here, I was having my meltdown. Okay, so I was out there and the sun was shining and the trees are starting to change colors, you know, and my buddy, the hawk was flying around and all of that is screaming to us saying, hey, I'm God. I'm here. I want an encounter with you. I love you. Let's do this thing called life for eternity. I've done all the work so you can come to me and be with me. Why don't you embrace it? But at the end of the day, all of us get to decide. 
And at the end of the day, it comes down to what we do with him screaming at us for whatever length of our life it is of him communicating with us. Now, so he gets this, this dream. So along comes a friend. And the, the fourth point was the prophetic warning of a friend. God is so good that even when we're ignorant, even when we're stubborn, even when we're selfish and prideful and self-focused, um, God sends godly friends into our life. And I want to encourage you to listen to your godly friends. I'm not talking about the friends who say they're godly. I'm not talking about the ones who say they want what's best. Those that say they're friends. I'm talking about the ones who know Jesus like you know Jesus. God will send them into your life to encourage you and help you in your journey. Because we all have tough moments. We all have stuff in our life where we need help. And so God in his sovereignty has placed this godly person into his life. Someone who will be a friend despite the pride. A friend despite the selfishness. A friend despite the ignorance. God sends us godly people. So Daniel served alongside this guy for over 40 years. Now, now let's back up a little bit. You remember? In chapter 1, Daniel's deported from his homeland. He's forced to walk a thousand miles, right? Okay, at Spear Point or whatever, to get to modern-day Iraq, which then was Babylon. All right? And when he gets there, it was for an appointment to be castrated and become a eunuch. Then he gets re-educated. Then he gets a new name. And all the while, listen to me, God was using that to reach a king named Nebuchadnezzar. Isn't that crazy? That sometimes in your hardship, in your suffering, God uses that to communicate his love towards somebody else. It's good to know that God has a plan and he has written you into his plan. He did it for over 40 years. Then we saw the prideful nature of man. The prideful nature of man, we'll pick up and re, uh, rehearse it again, go over it again from last week. It says this in verse 28. Now all of this happened to the king while, he was, uh, while it, the words were still on his lip. After 12 months, he happened to be walking around on the battlements or the porch of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king uttered these words. I apologize for this, Mike king uttered these words, is this not the great Babylon that I have built for a royal residence by my own mighty strength and for my majestic honor? He says, he, he says, it's all about me. He's been warned. He's had a dream. He's had an interpretation. And now it's all back about him. And if we're not careful, that is our default mode to go back to about my power and my glory and my majesty and me, myself, and I, it took 12 months. Now listen, at some point, there's a breaking point with God. He's patient, he's just, he's righteous, he's perfect. But at some point, enough is simply enough. And I would ask this question in your life. Where's that place? What is it that God is inviting you to that you just haven't surrendered to? What is that thing that he's saying, you need to take that out of your life, but you just don't take it out of your life? What is that place where God says enough is enough, now I'm going to get your attention? And that leads us to the next point, the persuasive ways of God. The persuasive ways of God. God has his way of accomplishing his will. And God is big. And God does what he wants to do. We can, we can pray to God. We can ask God to do great things in our life. We can we can do all these things, but at the end of the day, God is going to accomplish His will. And 
He has a way of making that happen. Look, look what happens in verse 31. It says, while these words were still on the king's lips, a voice came down from heaven. It is hereby announced to you, King Nebuchadnezzar, that your kingdom has been removed from you. You will be driven from human society. You will live with wild animals. You will be fed grass like oxen. And for seven periods of time or seven years, uh, they will pass by for you before you will understand that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and gives them to whomever he wishes. Now, in that very moment, this pronouncement about Nebuchadnezzar came true. He was driven from the human society. He ate grass like oxen, and his body became damp with the dew of the sky until his hair became long, till his hair became long like an eagle's feathers and his nails like a bird's claws. The persuasive ways of God. You, you don't want this, all right? You don't want this. And yet God warned him and God warns us. He tells us what he's going to do. He tells us how he's going to accomplish his, his will. He tells us the way he's going to do it. And he told Nebuchadnezzar through a dream, Daniel interpreted, and he would not listen. What's the end result? As soon as he goes out on the porch and begins to say, whoo, look at this place, man. It is good in my hood. I have it going on. Look what I've built. And he had a good reason to do so. But as soon as he said those words, he began to change and morph into what we saw last week. According to the Greek words, it's like a werewolf, wolf man, okay? And so his hair grew out like feathers and he stood out in the rain and he ate grass and his fingernails turned to what looked like talons. Okay, everything changed. And so I, I, I was thinking about this. I want you to understand the disparity, the chasm of difference between who he thought he was and who God saw him as and made him to be. He, he moved him from being the king of the world to hanging out in a pasture. So he went from the palace to the pasture. He went from castle walls to cattle stalls. He went from being a sovereign to being like a Sasquatch. He went from a god to a goat. He went from a big deal to a big foot, all right? When God wants to get your attention, it can be ugly. And we should, we should not press God to the place where he has to um, initiate his way to accomplish his will. So God has a timeline. At some point, it's over. And God was tired of working with Nebuchadnezzar, and he had to get his attention. Now, for, for people to enter into eternity... God sends us lessons along the way. And His ways are always greater and higher than our ways. And, 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 but we never want to take God to the place where He has to do that, right? Right. And so now, what happens? So He gets to a place. You remember, He's telling His story. You remember how He started? It's my pleasure to tell you how good God has been to me, what God has done for me. And then He just told us in these verses what He had to go through. Now watch what happens. It's the praiseworthy nature of God. This is where we need to live our life. No matter where we were yesterday, no matter where we were when we came in this morning, this right here in 34 through 37, this is where we need to live our life. This is who we should become. Listen to what it says. It says, but at the end of the appointed time, the seven years, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up toward heaven. He just looked to heaven, okay? He just looked to heaven. Now imagine... This big hairy beast of a guy who's been insane for seven years. The once greatest leader in the world 
has been hanging out outside eating grass. But in this moment, at the end of seven years, it says all he did was he looked up to heaven. I want you to know that's all God's looking. That's, that all, that's all God's looking for. He's looking for our posture to be a place where we're no longer consumed with this world and who we are. We're to a place where we just look up and go, wow. So watch what happens. He says, I looked up toward heaven and my sanity returned to me. And I extolled the Most High. And I praised and glorified the one who lives forever. For his authority is an everlasting authority. And his kingdom extends from one generation to the next. All the inhabitants of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he wishes with the army of heaven and with those who inhabit the earth. No one slaps his hand and says to him, what have you done? At that time, my sanity returned to me. I was restored to the honor of my kingdom and my splendor returned to me. My ministers and my nobles, they were seeking me out and I was reinstated over my kingdom. Watch this. And I became even greater than before. This is what is so cool about God. All right. Oh, he says, so now 37, let me get this in there. He says, so now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven. It's no longer about him. He says, I, I worship God. And, and he said, uh, for all his deeds are right. Wait a minute. He just went through seven years of animal kingdom, okay? He says all his uh, deeds are right and his ways are just. He is able to bring down those who live in pride. You think? He's able to do what he said he's going to do. Now, this is so cool, all right? So God forgives, God restores, and God blesses. And yet the enemy has convinced us that we don't need forgiveness, because we're pretty good people. We're better than we are badder. Okay? The enemy has convinced us that we don't need restoration. Look at, look at what I can do for myself. Look at what I've accumulated. Look at my um, exceptional achievements. I, I don't need to be blessed because, look, I am blessed. Meanwhile, God is in heaven screaming, as we said before, saying, you have no idea. I offer you so much more. So you, you have no idea. And, and so here's the thing. God is patient with us, even if we're in the middle of training or boot camp. Even when it hurts, God is patient. Now, i got to share something with you. In, in 2 Peter 3.9, I've loved this verse for a long time because it, it reminds me of how God treats me. This is what it says, but I want to show you more. He says, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some regard slowness, but he is patient, being patient toward you. Tell the person next to you, that's you he's talking about. He's patient towards you. Now watch this. He says, because he, God, does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Just leave this right here, okay? I always read this verse for the lost person, that God is patient and willing that none should perish. And I would use it evangelistically, like if you're lost, God is patient with you. He's, you're still here. He's still working on you. And it's true. It's that. I've used this verse and I understood this verse that God has told us what he's going to do. As an example, Jesus will return again one day for his church. 
disappear for seven years and tribulation will break out. Then he will come and rule and reign with us on this earth. Well, why has that not happened? He said that 2,000 years ago. Paul thought he was coming back in his lifetime, and yet he still hasn't come back. God is patient. He's still waiting for some to be saved. This is what I never noticed. He says, but he is patient toward you because he does not wish. So that's personal. That's you. Because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God, if you're born again, sealed in the Holy Spirit, saved, going to heaven when you die, there's a world out there that has not received what you've gotten. They're still lost in their sin. They're still headed toward a destination of suffering called hell. It's just that plain, just that simple. There are two eternal destinies, heaven and hell. Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. Why? Because he's patient and willing that none perish, but that all have eternal life. And so in the meantime, he's patient with you as a believer in using you to help other people get to the place where they can say, it is my pleasure to tell you what God has done for me. Verse 37, again, look what he says. When, when God gets your attention, he says, man, I praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven. We, we sang some songs this morning, perfect opportunity to praise, exalt, and glorify the King of heaven. Great songs, great songs. It's an opportunity to sing. He's given us his eternal word, an opportunity to read it and be reminded of how great he is, and yet often we never read it. He surrounded us and given us an opportunity to engage and be a part of a community of believers called the church, and yet often it's second, third, fourth, tenth fiddle in the band. Meanwhile, listen, God is patient and willing that you help others find what it is that you say that you have. He says, why? What, what gets us to a place where we can speak of God with such high esteem? The place where we just... Man, I don't care what anybody thinks. God is good, and it's my pleasure to tell you what God has done for me. How do we get to that place? All we have to do is be reminded without going through the pasture, growing hair like feathers and talons. All we have to do is search deep within. The Holy Spirit is there if you're a believer, and He'll encourage you and help you get to a place where you worship the greatness of who God is. Now watch this. Listen, here's why. Nebuchadnezzar got to a place, he had all that stuff, man, going for him. But he had to get to the place where he realized everything he was, everything he had, God did that. It's just about that simple. It's not about you. People say, well, now wait a minute, I, I have what I have because I went to school, got an education, and I do what I do. You went to school and got an education because God gave you a brain that allowed you to pass all those tests. Okay, that's just, it's about that simple. All right. Uh, you say, well, I, I do this because I have a great work ethic. Okay. You have a great work, et work ethic because God has given you the physical ability to work. Okay. And we have to get to a place. So let's just practice this. I want you to say this after me. Everything I am, everything I have, God did that. We have to get to a place where it's that real every day. Because if it's not intentional, our default mode is to get back to the place like Nebuchadnezzar where we talk about how great I am. Now listen, chapter 4 is the culmination of over 40 years 
of life spent with a godly man beside him named Daniel. Over 40 years of a man walking by faith and not by sight, willing to say, Nebuchadnezzar, I see you, bro, but I think you ought to do this right here. Encouraging him, never surrendering his values, his ethics, always focused on God. And Nebuchadnezzar has watched that for 40 years. And now, based on that testimony and an encounter with God, he has come to that place. Now listen, chapters 1, 2, and 3, he's ruthless and wicked, man. He's a terrible king. Chapter 4, everything changes. Now listen, after chapter 4, no more Nebuchadnezzar. He dies, and his, king, his kingdom is led by other kings. Daniel goes on. Daniel stays for another 30 years plus, but Nebuchadnezzar's gone. And here's the point. Here, listen. We never know what chapter we're living in. Am I in chapter 1 of 10, or am I, of, am I in chapter 4 of 4? We, we just don't know. And it's critically important to enjoy and experience this life like God desires for us that we begin to just act like we're in chapter four of a four-chapter book. I've been working on my doctorate for some time. It seems like every time I get to the place where it's time to write the paper, I have no ability to write. Just I, I, I can't write a good paragraph. And I have to write 150 pages. And so, I, all the while, I want to quit. Kendra says, it's unfinished. You need to finish it. And she's right. I need to finish it. But I got to build a building. I got time to write. I got to do this. I got time to write. That, that, that's my story. Why did I even pursue a doctorate? Why? Because I'm 58 years old. Okay? I pray that the Lord lets me pastor this church for 25 more years. Some of y'all thinking, that's going to be terrible. If you're bad now, when you're 80, it'll be awful, okay? I'll, I'll have my, my ear pods in listening to somebody else while I'm looking at you, okay? I don't blame you. I do the same thing, all right? But here's, here's the deal. I want to live every day like it's the first day of the last chapter of my life. Not like it's my last day, because if it's, it's my last day, you know, I'm miserable. But as if it's the first day of the last chapter of my life. All those chapters before, they have meaning. All of those chapters before, they're developmental in who I am. But I want to live my life like it's the first day of chapter four in a four-chapter book. And I want to encourage you to do that. And so our pronouncement should be just like he started. Man, it's my pleasure. Our, our, our common, the common denominator of our conversations should be about the greatness of God and what He's done in our life, not the greatness of us and what we're doing in our life. Kendra was asked just this week, she said, I uh, had a, a friend of hers ask her, said, why do you think so many young people are turning to Gnosticism or agnosticism? This is what's called technically, or atheism or embracing uh, socialism, philosophies, and all that stuff, the truth is really not that difficult. It's on us. Because we as parents and grandparents, we haven't done a good job passing the baton. We haven't done a good job helping young people understand a true biblical worldview. 
And so now they don't have this as a foundation. They have what they see on the news, what they hear in higher education. They don't have this. And the higher education in the news doesn't point to this. It doesn't teach this anymore. So it's important that we dive in, that we speak articulately and loudly and clearly and lovingly the truth of God's word, word into a lost world. So he, he, here's what it looks like. We're in voting season. I'm sure you're aware. Okay. And, and, and we're going to vote for somebody. I told you a couple weeks ago. I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for. You ready? I'm going to vote for the platform that most aligns with the biblical worldview. That's all I got. I was asked this week, uh, some friends of mine watch online, and they said, you preached on pride. How do you deal with the president's arrogance and pride if you're going to vote for him? And she went on to say, or they both said, it's husband and wife, said, I agree with what he stands for. His, what he say, says he stands for aligns with my biblical worldview. But how do you deal with the pride and arrogance? <laughs> I don't deal with it. I laugh at it, okay? He is prideful. He's, he is arrogant. Listen to me. If you were a billionaire and the president of the greatest country in the world, you would be prideful and arrogant too. It kind of comes with the position and the office, okay? And so what do we do? We look in the mirror and say, don't let me be that. And let me pray for him. You pray for the president, you pray for the vice president. It doesn't matter who's in the office. It doesn't matter who gets elected. I, I want you to understand something about the election. The election really has nothing to do with a mask or no mask. The election has nothing to do with a race or an ethnicity. It has nothing to do with stock markets and the economy and Russia and China. The election has to do with a biblical worldview. And candidly, the two candidates for president are two of the oldest who have run in his, the history of America. They may not live to see four years. Okay? If they do, praise the Lord. Okay? That's God's plan for them. But if they don't, we're just as much voting for a vice president. Okay? So, 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 so here's the thing. Just like in the life of Nebuchadnezzar, I, I want to encourage you with this. I want to encourage you with this. It doesn't matter who wins the election. Some of y'all have had anxiety. You know, like, oh man, what if, what if this happens? What if he gets voted in again? What if he doesn't get voted in again? Okay? And anyway, man, you want you to know, the next thing you know, we're all, we're all toward. I want you to know something, okay? My sustenance, my life, my joy, my contentment is not found in a man who sits in the Oval Office. It's found in a God who sits on a throne. All right? And you listen to me. 2,000 years ago, that God came to this earth in the form of a man, wrapped himself in humility and perfection to qualify him to lay on a cross and brutally die for my sinful condition to adopt and invite me into relationship with him. If he was willing to leave the splendor of heaven to come to this earth and die on a bloody cross for me, 2021, it's going to be a good year for me. Why? Because that same God is still God. And it doesn't matter who he allows to sit in the Oval Office. So don't let what's going on in this world 
get to you because you've got a God that's bigger than any leader in this world. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want you to know that today, God loves you as much or more than he ever has because he, he's all love all the time. And no matter how good or bad you think you've been, he hasn't stopped loving you. Because he's love and his love is not contingent. It doesn't hang in the balance based on how much you deserve his love. His love radiates from him because he's love. And he cast it forth through all of the universe. And he's casting it forth to you on this very day. And maybe today you simply have embraced somebody else's faith and it's not your own. If that's you, I would encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit that maybe your faith is not your own. And if that's the case, I would encourage you to simply say, like Nebuchadnezzar, I looked to heaven. Just look to heaven and say, God, I'm a sinner. I've never truly received your grace gift into my broken condition. I've enjoyed the faith of other people, but I want to walk from this day forward in my own. Me and you, God, walking together day by day into eternity. That's what I want. So I receive your grace gift. I don't understand why you would love me, but you do. I don't understand why you would be so patient with me, but you have been. So in this moment, I surrender all. I want you to save me. I want you to be my Lord and Master from this day forward. I want to be who it is you want me to be. So I can point to you because it will be all about you from this day forward. I pray it in Jesus' name. Now for others who are in here who are already saved. You remember that I, I told you that Daniel had served alongside Nebuchadnezzar. And here at the end of chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar became a believer in God. I told the couple that asked me how I dealt with the pride of our president. I told them that I believe God sent a Daniel into President Trump's life. And I believe that Daniel is Mike Pence. And if you're saved today, that verse from 2 Peter about God being patient with you because he cares about others, I believe with all that's in me, he wants you personally Every man, every woman, every student, every young person, God wants you to be a Daniel in somebody's life that will encourage and come alongside people and point them to a, a greater God, the true and living God. I would invite you to simply say, God, help me be a Daniel to somebody. God, help me point a lost person to you and we as a church then can be a Daniel to a lost and dying world Father I thank you for being patient with us I thank you for loving us I'm, I'm, I, as days go by 
I've realized that more and more and more how much you love me and how much I love you and how much I look forward to tomorrow and for all of eternity because that's constant with you. It doesn't change. But God, between now and eternity, help me be a Daniel to this church. Help me be a Daniel to those men who are working on the building next door. Help me be a Daniel to my family. Help me be a Daniel in my community. Help our church become a Daniel that points to the greatness of you because of the way we live, that we just live without compromise, that we're surrendered to you and you alone, not the junk of this world where we will never find satisfaction, certainly never find forgiveness, hope, love, and eternal life. So help us just focus on you as we move forward. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, we will exalt you. We will praise you. We will glorify you because, God, it's all about you. And our only hope to be in relationship with you is Jesus and what he's done, not what we've done. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Those who know him said, amen. Well, maybe today you just asked Jesus in your life for the very first time. You need to make that uh, public. You need to tell somebody that. You can tell me. I'll encourage you. I'll pray for you. I'll put some resources in your hand. Maybe today is the day where you're, you're going to start living for Jesus. Sometimes we make commitments in our heart that become superficial because we never, we never back them up with actions. That's you and you're concerned about that. I would encourage you to come to the altar and lay it down. Drive a stake in it. Put a mark on it that says, I'm going to live for you from this day forward. I've been playing games. It's over today. The game starts over today. As we stand and sing, be obedient to God's will. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.